came this morning thinking, man, I should take someone to lunch. Like, there's like your people right there. Take them, take them. That would be good. It'd be good. Hey, uh, turn your Bibles, if you have them, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to be looking at this passage this morning, Exodus chapter 13. For the next two weeks, we're going to walk through this short series as it relates to this issue of giving. This two-week series uh, is a tough one. It's tough to talk about giving uh, sometimes because not everyone in here has solidified this issue in their life. And so we're going to look at it uh, for the next two weeks uh, and, and just talk about this in the life of our church. Now, we've got 52 weeks in the year where we walk through different scriptures and passages, always Bible-based, uh, what we do here and how we walk through it. Um, but I want to give you this heads up that two of the next 52 weeks are going to be devoted to this issue of tithing and of giving. So the next two weeks, two of 52, that's like 3.8% of our Sundays. We're looking at these two issues, but there's significant one. Besides, uh, many of you, like, you've already missed your allotted amount of Sundays um, over the course of the year. So I know you're like, what, we have an allotment? Yeah, it's two per family or two per couple and, you know, one additional per child that you have uh, over the course of the year. That's your allotment. I know somebody just said, man, honey, we need to have another baby. We've got to Another Sunday. No, I'm just joking. On a serious note, though, um, this is an important subject matter in the life of any church. And I want to take a moment for us to walk through this from a biblical perspective and ask this question What does the Bible really teach about giving? Now, we believe that as we read Scripture, that there's only really two components of financial giving that shows up in God's Word. And so we're just going to give two weeks and talk about each of them. One's this Sunday and one the next, and we'll just spend time talking about these two ways in general. And because there's two ways, we just believe at Wendover Hills that we should really only talk biblically about these two ways as well that God speaks to us about financial giving. So in general, uh, the two times in the year that we might be tempted to kind of overspend are Christmas and the summertime, vacations and, and things such as that. And they are conveniently placed six months apart to leave us scrambling for six months to try some way to catch up before we enter the season where we might need to overspend again, right? And so this issue of finance, it's, it's always on the forefront of our lives. We're always thinking about finances. Some of you go to bed, and every night as you're trying to get off to sleep, you're thinking about finances, you're thinking about what day are you going to pay this? Should I juggle this here? If I move this out here? And on and on and on. So what does the Bible really teach about giving? It's an important subject matter. So uh, let's, let's just jump into it. So let me start with this question. Um, are you ready for the test? You ready for the test? Test. Now, um, you probably over your lifetime, you had some teacher in school middle school, high school, college, at some point in time, you had a teacher that stood up and he, they said that same question, uh, are you ready for the test? Now, I know what my normal response was, and it may be yours. Uh, my normal response is, is what? Can you think of it? Yeah, I heard it. What test? What? I had no idea. 
there was a test. Like my mom and dad even knew that I was having a test that day, but somehow I could never figure out when it was test day at my school. It's probably why I finished in the, uh, well, the top 10 of the lower third of my class, I was able to, that's a big accomplishment. Not, not true. Not, not, that's not really true. Um, are you ready for the test? What test? You see, um, quite often, I think God is asking us this same kind of question. You're ready for this test. And we're like, well, what, what test, God? What are you talking about? And we actually take a test every week. For some of you, like every other week. For some of you, maybe about once a month. We take a test. Every time we get paid, every time we receive a paycheck, it is like this test of what are you going to do with your finances now? What are you going to do with that check? And at what place is God honored in the process every time we get paid? We're talking about this concept this week called obedient giving. Obedient giving. Next week will be a different biblical concept that we learn in God's Word. But the first is obedient giving. And in God's Word, we know that as this thing called the tithe. The tithe. Now, if you're new to church, and all of us were at one point, I became a Christian when I was in high school, and so concepts were very new. It was in college when I first learned the story of, of Jonah and the whale, and it sounded about as crazy and far-fetched. So we all come along at different times in our life to learn these concepts. And so if you're new to this, the tithe simply means, in Hebrew, the word means a tenth or 10%. And God actually sets this this standard up, and he introduces it in his word long before the Old Testament law that you may be familiar with in the Old Testament. In fact, you might be uh, familiar with this concept, and you might even say, you know, hey, I'm not part of the Old Covenant. We're not under the law. We are under the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we are, I would agree, 100%. This is a concept, this tenth, this, this giving, that actually predates the law by hundreds of years and then we find it post-dates the law of Scripture as well, and it continues on. We see this in the New Testament even, where Jesus speaks about us ought to tithe. Even in the book of Hebrews, we learn that when we give, this tithe goes to Jesus and the work of his ministry, or it blesses his ministry, is what we learn in Hebrew. So why the test? Well, I believe this, that there are certain things God desires of us, Certain, certain things he wants of us. And he knows that it's going to be very hard because it is totally contrary to, to culture. It's, it's totally different than the ways of this world that we would do certain things. And of these, God knows that we're going to have the regular opportunity to make certain choices as it relates to what he's teaching us. And one of these, of course, as we look at his scripture, is the tithe. Thinking about this concept that God says, I would like you to actually give of a tithe, give of a 10%, just doesn't make sense in our culture. It doesn't make sense to us that we would give on that. But God teaches us this. And let's just walk through a couple things. Um, you may not know how many times this number 10 actually shows up in scripture in places of testing. So let me just walk you through a few of these. How many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? Meaning, how many plagues were there? Do you remember? Ten. Ten. How many commandments are there? Ten. So uh, if you haven't noticed, there's going to be a pattern here. 
in these questions. I'm going to make it really easy for you. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? You remember? There's a pattern here. So, yeah, very good. You got it. Um, Excellent. And how many times was Jacob's wages changed when God was challenging and testing his character? Ten. You got it. How many virgins were tested in Matthew chapter 5? Let me give you a hint. There was five unwise, five wise. Ten. Right. So how many days was Daniel tested? Daniel chapter 1. You got it. Ten. Um, And how many testings are mentioned in the book of Revelation? If you look through it, ten again. How many disciples are there? No, there's, yes, you got it, 12. Okay, very good. I was just testing you. It's just a test there for you. So I'm not sure why God chooses this 10. I, I, I don't know why, but what we do find is it shows up and it seems to represent testing several times in God's word. That I understand why he chooses percent. Because what God is saying is the same for everyone. It's the same for all of us, this 10%. Whether you view yourself as receiving a lot of resources or receiving a very few resources, God has said it's the same across the board for us, this issue of a tenth. Now, um, I want to walk through now Scripture, and I want to just show you how this principle came into being and where we really get it from Scripture. So if you have your Bible, uh, we're in Exodus chapter 13, and I want to start in verse 1. Exodus 13 Verse 1, this is what it says. Then the Lord says to Moses, Dedicate to me the firstborn among the Israelites, the first offspring to be born of both human and animals. What does he say there? Belongs to me. This is a very emphatic statement that God uses here. He's saying in this, It belongs to me, it is mine. It's mine. He doesn't say, notice in there, it's not, I would like to have that. He says, this belongs to me. It's mine. And he's saying this about the firstborn, or as we'll find the first fruits. Uh, and he's speaking, we'll see later, even as we get in talk and discussion of tithe. It's mine. Now skip down a little bit in the same chapter, verse 12 and verse 13. It says this, you must present all firstborn sons and firstborn male animals to the Lord, for they belong to him. Very similar to, to verses 1, and if we had continued, verses 2. Now, verse 13 gets into this Hebrew concept that is going to be important to us, but might be unfamiliar to you now. He says, a firstborn donkey may be bought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or young goat in its place. In other words, you're going to lose that either way. But if you do buy it back, you must break its neck, however must buy back every firstborn son. Here's, here's what we find here. I want to be, be a good pastor for you here and just kind of explain this concept, this point. It's this first key concept that we find is that the firstborn is either sacrificed or redeemed. The firstborn is either sacrificed or the firstborn is redeemed. So it's what we just read, sacrifice to redeem. The question is, how do you know which is which? How do you know when to do one and when to do another? What's being used here, this concept, is God is actually using these two different animals to describe clean and unclean. Now, when we get to heaven and we want to ask God, well, why did you use one animal for one and one for another? You can ask those questions and get a very clear understanding because biblical scholars have a little differing view on on why. But God uses these two different animals. 
And he says here, the lamb is clean. The donkey is unclean here. So what he's saying, if you have the firstborn of a clean animal, then you're going to sacrifice that or give that back to the Lord. Why? Because in verse 1 he said, that belongs to me. But the donkey, the unclean animal, he says, you're not going to sacrifice that. You're going to actually sacrifice something clean to account for something unclean. Now, this is written 4,000 years ago, right? So how would this really have anything to do with us? In Jesus' system still, they were bringing, or Jesus and day, they were still bringing the sacrifice to be sacrificed. In fact, if you can picture even a group this size— of families bringing a lamb, and let's say it was my job to sacrifice that lamb for you. Can you imagine the mess that we would have on our hands here at a church even our size? Now picture the town of Jerusalem with people coming at festival time bringing this. This was even happening at Jesus's time, but why would it have anything to do with us today, post-Jesus, right? Post-Jesus going to the cross. I want you to understand Everything in God's word is pointing to Jesus. The themes are pointing to the day of Christ. And so when we look at this, would we ask ourselves a few questions? Would we ask on our own, apart from Christ, on our own, would we be viewed as clean or unclean? Unclean. Jesus, though, would he be viewed as clean or unclean? Clean. And so when you look at this passage in the Old Testament, and now you look at Jesus, we ask the question, how does this relate to us? In that Jesus goes through the cross, the clean, to be sacrificed on behalf of the unclean. It wasn't the donkey that was sacrificed. Guess what? You and I were the donkey. The unclean as it's represented here. And yet, it wasn't us that went to the cross. It wasn't us that was sacrificed. In the Old Testament system, it wasn't the donkey that was sacrificed. It would have been the firstborn of a clean for the redemption of the unclean. Now, this is a system that was set up thousands of years ago, and it leads to the moment of Christ. And when Christ grows to that cross and he dies in that way, what he is saying is, look, you don't have to keep bringing now. You don't have to bring physical lambs to be slaughtered any longer. I've done that once and for all for you. You are redeemed. And that's the system that's put into place. Now, I've told you before, though, that because Christ has done this for you, and because you don't now have to continually bring something for your redemption, now we are free, wide open to enjoy the grace of God in our everyday life. So why would we not go forward living the life that Christ has to offer through his word, living the freedom of his grace every single day. Why? Because the cleansing's been done. Sometimes as believers, what we do is we like to carry our identity and ground our identity in a day of redemption. Can I tell you, that's not our identity. That's our memory. That's our gratitude for what Christ did on the cross. But our identity is now found in Christ every single day, the life that we get to live out and the mission that we're on. 
So what does this have to do with really what we're, we're talking about this morning? Um, I want to introduce you also to this, this second concept here and make sure you understand it. The clean is sacrificed so the unclean can be redeemed. This is actually a concept that still goes on today, but it doesn't go on in the form of bringing lambs to service. If you bring one next Sunday morning and you say, hey, Pastor Tom, will you slaughter this as a sin sacrifice? I'm going to say, you know, you need to get that out of here. um, So it's not going to work. Why the firstborn is the question. Why the firstborn here? Can I tell you, I've been a Christian since about 17 years old, um, and I've heard that question asked a few times, and I've often heard people say, because it's the best. You give your best to God, right? You bring your best to God. And uh, when I think about that in terms of my kids, if I were to say I'm going to bring my firstborn, um, James gets to come to God because he's the best. I, I've immediately told TC and Sierra, you're just not as good. Um, you're not as good. Um, in, but when we ask that question, what, what does it mean by the firstborn? I think we miss it if we describe it the best. We describe the best. Because I don't know about you, but there's sometimes I launch into something, I create something, and I go, well, that was okay, but now I learned something, and I'm going to make it better the next time. And I might do it four or five times till eventually I say, now I've made it the best. And if I were to live on the best concept, I probably would tell myself, God, you're not going to get the 1.0 version because I'm going to have to work out a lot of bugs on it before I get you the 5.0 version. Then I will give it to you um, because I'm going to bring you my best. The problem is when we look in Scripture, we don't see that. We don't see a passage that ever says firstborn means best. Why the firstborn then? I think the first of just about anything is our most precious it's our most precious. I mean, when we look at our lives, when we find something, we get something for the first time, it is incredibly precious. Now, I don't love my other kids any less than I love my oldest kid, but there's something about the memories I can tell about the first time I learned that we were pregnant. I remember the exact place I was. I was in a sand bunker on a golf course. I was working maintenance, and I was raking here up and down, or I was pulling weeds, I can't remember, because we never could keep the weeds out of the bunker. And I was at the bottom of a hill, all the holes ran down like this, and there was a lake. I was on this side of the lake, in a bunker, and I turned and looked, and at the top of that hill was Shree standing in a brown dress. I can remember it clearly and vividly. Why? Firstborn. I knew immediately that we were pregnant. I knew right away. Just standing there and seeing her there, because otherwise, what was she doing at the golf course that day? Uh huh. Because it's precious. It's precious. You launch out into your own business, you quit. Maybe you quit corporate America or you quit your job and you launch out into your own venture to do your own thing, selling a product, maybe a product that you work with your own hands. There's incredible risk involved in that, is there not? And what happens? You get that first dollar. And what do you do? You go, man, I'm, I'm legit. That's, that dollar is precious. Usually we, we never frame, right, the 500th dollar or the 587th dollar. We frame and we put on the wall the first dollar as a reminder of how precious it was when we launch into a first. Now I'm a dad, right? It changes everything. Teens, now I've got a driver's license, 
changes everything. I can get around now, right? Your parents are freaking out, but you can get to drive around. Except for parents, if you're not taking advantage of this, um, sending your son or daughter to the store for you to buy things that you would otherwise have to drive yourself is amazing. Make sure you take advantage of that. I can drive now. I mean, this is my first job, right? Uh, My first job, I'm now making a paycheck. It's amazing. The first is the most precious Can you understand this concept of a friends that we have in Indiana who for years tried to have a baby? Years. And we prayed with them and we walked through it. And I don't know why, God, for some that have tried that route, it doesn't happen. I can tell you the story of this couple. Eventually, Ty was born. And it's amazing. This is a precious, precious kid to them. The firstborn, the first of anything is precious. We think about it in that way. And so now can you understand why God, when he comes and he says, look, I know it's precious. That if we're going to surrender to him, that the testing of giving our most precious over to God is powerful. And when we do, God says he blesses us in such an amazing, amazing way. That's what he's talking about here. God's not immune to this. As we're talking about this clean, unclean, God has said, look, I understand this concept. I'm not like this distant God who just demands your best just so I can say, I got it and they don't have anything good kind of thing. That's not how God is operating. He actually tells us in Scripture, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God showed his love for us that by sending Christ to die for us, when? While we were yet are still sinners. While we're still unclean, God said, I'm going to give you my best, the best I have to offer. I'm going to give and surrender for your redemption, is what he says there in Scripture. God understands the concept of giving of his first, his firstborn, just the same way as he asks of us. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you're going to see that this concept of firstborn and firstfruits is really interwoven together, these passages of giving of firstborn. When it talks about the literally uh, giving of a, a physical person or animal, it's often described as firstborn. When the giving of anything else, it's often used the first fruits, and these are used so often. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. This is this issue of tithe that we find in God's word, that God is actually marrying these themes of giving of our first, giving of our most precious that we would turn and we would give over to him. And he calls that in his word, the tithe. You understand what that means is of everything I take in, of everything I receive, I look and I say, the first I'm going to surrender over to God. I'm going to surrender over to him and his ministry and his house of the Lord as as it's described in in God's word. I give that and then I I live on the 90% that's given to me or that I have, I live. But that's not the way most of us look at it. And so this is why we struggle with this concept. Most of us, if we were honest, we look at it this way as, as I did in my household for a long time is... When that paycheck comes in, when any resources I'm blessed with come in, I look and say, well, I got to pay that. I got to pay that. 
I hate that I have to pay this, but, you know, I'm locked into it, so I've got to pay this here. I really want to keep doing this, so I'm going to pay some out here, and, and, and I, want, I want to keep doing that, so I'm going to pay here. Um, and then I get over here to saying these, but uh, that, those, are a lot, those are just a lot of fun, you know, and they just take some dollars. And so I've got to give some here. And then at the very end, I look and say, do I have anything left over to bring to God this month? Do I have anything left over? And if you live the American way, the common thing is to spend about 110% of the 100%. And so at the end of that, how often are we going to be able to say, um, I now give this over to God. This is what I have left to give to God if I work that system. Not often. God understands this. It's why he says, look, give of your first, your first fruits. That if you would come and you would just say, here's, this, here's the resources, boom, that goes to the Lord. This is what's left. Now I gotta figure it out. I gotta figure out how to cover these things and how to pay these things. And in general, in my personal testimony to you, uh, we figured it out. We figured out there was a few things on this side that, ah, I really like doing those. I'd hate to give up that, but um, I would much rather not tell God I'm not giving my first to him. And so we did away with a few of those things eventually to see the 90% work very well for us. Robert Morris ha- has a book called Priorities, or he has a, um, a, it's a list of sermons called Priorities where he talks about this issue. And, and could you imagine, um, if you can imagine a, an illustration that works something like this, um, I'm going to invite Sri, James, and Ray. Will you come up and help me with this? He talks about this illustration where he's, um, he's going to go away. I'm going to go away on a little trip. Why don't you guys stand right over here? Um, going to go away on a little trip, and while I'm gone, I need to support my wife and family. Let's pretend Sheree's not my wife for the moment, or this illustration doesn't work as well. Um, but where I'm going to go away, and I, I, I'm going to ask these three individuals um, to kind of look after my family while I'm gone. And the way I'm going to do it is, while I'm gone, I, I'm going to give you guys $10,000 a month. Um, just out of my pastor's salary, I'm going to give you 10000 a month. Okay, this is just an illustration. You're not getting a dime. 10000 a month. Um, so, um, and I'm paying you for your service, for just looking out of my family. I appreciate you. It's the most precious thing in my life to look out for my family. And to look out for my wife is very, very significant, very precious to me. All right, you're not my wife right now in this illustration. All right, $10,000 a month. Here's all I need you to do. Shoot 1000 over to my wife each month. So that she can, I mean, that's going to be 3000 for her. She'll be able to manage the household, take care of the kids, you know, shoes, braces, whatever's going on with them. If you could do that, that'd be wonderful. So 10000 just 1000 over to her. 10%, you're doing the math, you get it, right? So let's say uh, three months down the road, I hadn't really checked in on them. Um, and I called my wife and I said, hey, um, How's things going at the house? Good, good. Kids are doing well. They miss you and all that kind of stuff, and, but uh, they're doing well. Um, I, hey, tell me, so how are you doing? Like you're, you're getting the—tell me, tell me about the, the, you know, the people I gave the money that, that are coming. And my wife says, oh, well, Sheree, doing awesome. $1,000 every month, get a check every month. Um, in fact, I get it on the first every month. So I've got it for the whole month. It's good. I'm, I'm pleased with that. How about James? How's he doing on that? James is 
I don't know why, but he sends 2,000 every month. He sends 2,000 um, in every month. Um, why, okay, why is he doing that? I don't know why he's doing that, but you know, I get it, so it's, it's pretty good. I said, well, that's excellent. Well, how about Ray? I mean, Ray owns like a Christian store and everything, so how's he doing? Well, we need to talk about Ray for a second. Um, the first month, Ray sent $300. Um, the second month, he sent 150 about halfway through the month. Haven't, haven't seen anything since. Now, what do you think I'm thinking? I'm away. I'm funding these guys. I'm asking them just send back the 10% if they would to my wife to take care of the family. What am I going to do next? You know, you don't even need to be a business mindset person. You know what I'm doing. I'm going to look at Ray. And I'm cutting him off, right? And I'm going to redistribute that this way. Because I've seen uh, faithfulness and even faithfulness plus generosity that have come here. And I'm going to say, Ray, I, this, this, this is not how it works. All right, thank you guys. Would you thank them for, for illustrating? You can get the concept. You can understand what God is teaching us in his word that what I provide and what I give and what I bless you with, I'm simply asking for you to then in return bless the house of the Lord with your 10%. The illustration is even more powerful when we understand that, that, that is it not the church called the bride of Christ to take care of the bride? with our 10%. I'm wondering if tithing is far more personal to God than we make it out to be. Far more personal. So the question is, what's, what's our most precious? What's most precious to us? I read you Proverbs 3, uh, 3 9. Deuteronomy 14, 28 says this, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town, give to the Levites, those were the ones who looked after the temple, did all those sacrifices we just talked about, who received no allotment of the land among you. Um, land was distributed. Levites were not allowed to own land. Their job was to stay in the temple and work to that end, as well as the foreigners living among you and the orphans. How about that? Foreigners coming in your land, take care of them. The orphans, take care of them. They got no status. Did you know that? No status in this day. Take care of the orphans. Take care of the widows. Why? Because in this system back when the husband was gone, that was it. No status. Often you either needed your husband's brother to take you in or often you, you became homeless or you became a prostitute. So take care of the widows of your town. Care for them so they may eat and be satisfied and the Lord will bless all your work. That's what God is speaking of. Why the first fruits? Can I tell you that the same is true of us today as what we learned about clean and unclean, the redemption of the unclean. God asked for our first fruits today. He asked for our tithe today for the work of the kingdom. That's why. For the work of the kingdom. Secondly, to, re- to bring redemption to all. It's the same reasons that we find in Scripture that God wants us to bring our first fruit. In Scripture here, to take care of the Levites, take care of the foreigners, take care of the orphans, take care of the widows— and to bring redemption to the unclean. Those are the same two reasons today God asks us to bring 
In fact, in a political charge season, I often hear people when they talk about uh, politics, when they say things like, I don't want the government giving handouts, right? I don't want the government being the one that gives the money. That's the job of the church. The church does that kind of stuff. So I'm not voting for that person because they just bring entitlement programs. Can I tell you though, honestly, if that's our mindset, then the church is failing. Currently on our national average, the church brings 36% of families regularly give. I'm not even talking about tithe. I'm talking about regular giving. Not a week goes by, I don't get a phone call from somebody that says, I need gas money this week. I need grocery money this week. I need this money. I need this money. Every church in America has the same story that I can tell of those phone calls. And how often we have to say, there's simply nothing in the coffers to give. Why? Because we've abandoned our tithe. We've began in what God has said. Bring of your first fruits. Why? So that the house of the Lord will be filled. They can take care of the foreigners, the orphans, the widows. Expand that list if you want for anyone who might be in need. And for the redemptive work of the kingdom. To see people come to know Jesus as their Savior. That's what God calls us. That's why he calls us to bring our first fruits for those reasons. I want to leave you with one illustration and then I want to give you the takeaway this morning. Um, many of you work in systems where you're like product-based companies. Like you, you do a service or you offer a product, right? And that service is either paid for or the product uh, is paid for at some point in time. That can look a, a hundred different ways, but product or service-based. Imagine this. Imagine that in your company, there was no such thing as a billing department. There was no such thing as maybe insurances or outside agencies that paid people's bills for them. There was the customer and there's you. And you say to that customer, hey, here's a service. I'm going to provide this. I'm going to offer this. I'm just going to go ahead and do it because it looks like you, you want that or you need that product or you need that service. I'm going to go ahead and do it. There's a box on your way out, you know, whatever. It's, you know, that's kind of on your own. That's between, you know, you and yourself or you and your spouse or you and your family, whatever, and you leave it at that. How many of our products would be paid for? How many of our services would be paid for in that system? Some of them, some people are pretty good, pretty honest, would do pretty good. I would say if you've launched into a business on your own that way, uh, that would probably freak you out if that was the system you had employed. Government uh, workers for a second. Let's say maybe you're a teacher. Um, are you a fireman, a policeman? Um, you work for the parks and service. Um, you were some, some type of government or public um, type of job, right? Imagine if the whole tax system was just eliminated. There was no taxes. You didn't pay taxes. We never even heard of the concept, right? Some of you are about to cheer. That's not the point of the story. And in that, they said, look, we've got teachers. We've got some policemen. I mean, these people do good jobs. They work long, hard hours, right? Um, we've got firemen. I mean, they'll go out all hours of the night, right? No matter what happens, you just call that number and, and they're there. Um, we've got people that keep our parks nice so you have a place to walk your dog and things like that. All that kind of stuff, right? So whatever you might be willing to give back, whatever you might be willing to send that, that way, here's kind of our suggested amount, but whatever you'd like to do, just go ahead and send it back. How many of you as teachers would have a job today? 
firefighters, policemen, you know, people that work for parks, how many of you would have jobs today? It's not likely we would have too many of those people employed. But God has said to us, look, this is how I fund the work of my kingdom. This is how I fund the church. This is how we, we pay for, for staff. This is how we pay for all the ministries involved. This is how we bless all of those in need when they ask and they need. And you know that the church was built in the book of Acts on the way the church was generous to each other. And so today it's the same way. But in our system, we've decided with God to say, yeah, if it's there, God, I'm on it. If it's not, I'm not on it. And because of that, often the work of the kingdom can suffer. Now, can God do a, a work above and beyond that? Sure. I don't even know why God sets up this system. Why didn't God just, you know, like do more like the fish and loaf style, you know, where there was just a little bit and they kept going back and there was more and more loaves. But I've never seen that done ever where a pastor takes it and then there's just more and more money. And it can, God chooses this route and he teaches us all through scripture this route of funding the kingdom through what is most precious to us. Here's a takeaway this morning. I'm calling you, I'm encouraging you to commit to the redemptive work of the kingdom through your faithful tithe. I'm encouraging you, I'm calling you. Can I tell you as your pastor, I never look at giving statements. I have no idea if you sitting here this morning, if you're a regular attender or a member of this church, I don't know if you tithe or give. Uh, I don't know the amounts. The only thing I know is the overall percentage and we sit at 37%, right on the national average, 37% of our people regularly give. There's only two people, those people that are the treasurer and the person that does the bank deposits that would know otherwise. I don't know those things. So this certainly is not coming from a stamp where I'm looking at you if this has not been what you've been committed to, where I'm looking at you and saying, yeah, 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 you, I'm talking to you. Um, This is an us together, the body of believers here at Wendover Hills who choose to be a part of the redemptive work of Christ, the mission that we're on to serve him, to see people come to know him as their Lord and Savior, to bless people that are in need, to be to that end, it's the we rising up and saying 37% is probably not enough. And so I'm, I'm calling you to commit to that this morning. You take it before the Lord in your, your time with you, your spouse, your family, and work that way. It's one of the two ways God's word calls us into giving. Well, that was heavy, so let me pray for you uh, this morning, if you don't mind. And, uh, and then I've got a couple fun things to, to share with you, and then we'll, we'll be done today. Father, thank you for this. Lord, thank you for heavy, strong subject matter that we talked through today. And Lord, uh, there's probably no, uh, no subject outside of maybe the politics we've talked about this weekend that can sometimes divide us than when we start talking and involving our money and our dollars. So, Father, I want it to be perfectly clear, Lord, this is your word and what you're talking to. From here as a pastor, I've, I've said what I believe that you wanted me to teach and, and called me to say. From this point on, Lord, this is, this is you. This is you talking and you working with the families or individual in our church this morning. I release that to you, Lord. I release that to know I, you don't ask me to and you don't want me to as a leader to harp and to continue on. And so, Lord, I release that to you entirely. Bless our church. Bless the mission that we're on. Bless the redemptive work of your kingdom 
I thank you that every week I stand on this stage and I look out to people who said yes to you as their Lord and Savior sitting in our congregation. Many, even on our stage, leading our time of music and worship in that way. Those that are down the hall that are teaching and building into our kids that one time they needed someone to stand in the gap. Someone that was willing to sacrifice so that they would be ministered to and they came to know you as their Savior. And now they're down there teaching our kids. What a great testimony. Lord, I pray the resounding answer would be, I want to be a part of that, an obedient giver to the redemptive work of the kingdom of God through this local church that I've chosen to be a part of. Father, bless each person who is walking through that, wrestling through that. Uh, Now we pray it in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, um, 